Hello and welcome to I Really Wish You Hadn't. This is a podcast about people and businesses that have made horrible mistakes, have fallen apart at the seams, or have just been generally awful since their inception. They're the kind of people and businesses that make you think, man, I really wish you hadn't. Welcome back to I Really Wish You Hadn't. It's me, your boy, Cayman Big Mac McMahon, here with my co-host, Mad Dog Michael Bentley, and our super producer, give me some more, Colin Moore. Oh, <laughs> pause for the for us to say stuff. You didn't let Michael well, say anything. Well, I thought anything. if I did, you guys were going to have criticisms about my nicknames. Yeah. Yeah, we I did. wanted to do the intro for once. Michael, give it to me. This is weird. So today, so today we are wrapping up our now five part with with one bonus episode. So that would be six part. Time five, six. Yeah. This this will technically make it six episodes. Fifth part of our Cuba series. It's over. We finally made it. We can stop talking about communism for one second, Michael. Yeah, well, I remember whenever you proposed this, you were actually in town and we sat down at a bar and you were like, I know what we're going to do for our next episode, Cuba. And I was like, yeah, great idea. And now here we are, like, what, three and a half months later? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) So be careful what you agree to when you're drinking. Well, I think at the point we were like, oh, that's going to be a long one. It's going to be like three episodes. You think we can do that? (laughs) (laughs) yeah we we went over a little but it's okay it's been fun i've had a great time yeah think about how much we've learned yeah well i feel like i now consider myself a a amateur expert on cuba i don't think there's any such thing as an (laughs) amateur expert you're one or you're the other i'm a professional amateur expert who doesn't get paid in training Okay, so we're doing this episode a little bit more relaxed. Uh, I think Michael's going to be starting us off. Michael, what are you starting us off with? Yeah, so um, I'd like to start us off and kind of just wrap up the story of Che Guevara. Oh, is that that guy that went pulled a hole on the motorcycle through South America with that guy? Yeah, he's the guy that's on the t-shirts. Yeah, 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 t-shirt boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so really the last time that we heard anything from Che Guevara was uh, right after the Bay of Pigs when he personally thanked JFK for the invasion. (laughs) Very alpha of him. Get wrecked. Um, But I want to take us uh, a few steps back, right? I want to take us back to uh, the Cuban Revolution that put Castro in power. I have to specify which Cuban Revolution, of course. Right, there's a lot of them. (laughs) See episodes one and two. Yeah. <laughs> now remember, uh, Che had joined the revolution in Mexico, and back in Mexico, he had a wife and daughter waiting for him to either come back or to set up a new home for them in Cuba. Now, the problem is the revolution ends in victory, obviously, and Che's family comes over to Cuba um, only for Che to have to tell them that he's actually fallen in love with a woman that's in his company, in his battalion, um, and he wants a divorce. So imagine you're his wife waiting years for your husband to come back. And then he's like, hey, here's some papers. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like this probably happens a lot. Well, here's the other thing, too, is he apparently married this other woman 
before divorcing his wife and then had a second like marriage ceremony after they filed for the divorce so like i don't know what the like the other woman's perspective is on this like pissed <laughs> i i don't know like maybe did she stay in cuba after that Yes, uh, that's what's crazy is his first wife actually like wrote a memoir about like her time with Che Guevara because you got to imagine like he's a superstar, right? Yeah, right. Even if it, you can't paint him as the bad guy, like maybe people will be like, yeah, it kind of sucks, but he's still Che Guevara. So, right. so she was like very ardent, ardent. Is it ardent or ardent? Ardent. ardent. She was a very ardent communist um, or I guess Marxist because yeah. actually something I don't think we talked about in the first episode. Um, or I guess, yeah, he came around in the second episode was our mm -hmm. stuff about Che Guevara. Um, his wife was actually a revolutionary herself and she had also fled to Mexico with him because they were both like basically exiled from their countries. So he left his first revolutionary girlfriend behind and went and got a new one. <laughs> he definitely has a type. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but that's, what's crazy is like, you know, it's not like, I don't know. It, it just sucks for her, but I don't know. She seemed to she seemed to have a you know pretty decent life. Find yourself a girl who can overthrow the bourgeoisie. There you go. <laughs> um, so after the war, Che is appointed to become head of the prison that's housing all the uh, anti-revolutionaries. And now, by anti-revolutionary, I mean uh, the remnants of Batista's army. Um, any civilian informants that may have been working with the Batista regime, and pretty much just any other person deemed a threat to the new government. Now, this in particular is where many anti-Cuban publications point a finger at Che Guevara and basically paint him as this bloodthirsty warmonger, right? I mean, that's all I really heard about before doing my research was like, yeah, Che Guevara, he's on the shirts and he seems cool, but like he killed a bunch of people. And I think that's kind of a mischaracterization, and I actually haven't heard a whole lot of people dispute that, despite the evidence. So let's go into some of that. So all the prisoners after the war were given a trial, which was modeled after the Nuremberg trials, which took place after World War II. Basically, what was left of the Nazi army, we had to decide, like, okay, who, who here was following orders and who here was giving orders? If you were giving orders, we're going to hang you, basically. Who gets killed and who lives. Yes, exactly. <laughs> How many of you fuckers do we want to keep around? Exactly. So if Guevara is a bloodthirsty tyrant for this, like, kind of have to look at the allies of World War II, which oh, yeah. we I would love to talk about kind of the aftermath of World War II at some point, but not, not this time. Right. Um, so these trials were also conducted as a joint effort between the Revolutionary Army and local trusted citizens. Um, now, this gave power to the civilians that were affected by the Batista regime. A lot of people, you know, obviously were not fans. And allegedly, the general public was very pro-execution. A survey from the time put Cuban approval ratings for the trials at 93%. But you have to also remember that those people who were outspokenly against the Cuban government the new Cuban government were the ones being executed. <laughs> so 7% of people were very, very brave and saying, Hey, I think this is a little messed up. The executors were very pleased with their ability to choose who gets executed. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> um, but I definitely think, well, I don't even think there's proof that a lot of people really love the executions. Right. Um, 
because apparently because so they would do these trials in public right so there was a crowd of civilians outside and allegedly when a person would be sentenced to death by firing squad um there was a chant the crowd would do where they would scream to the wall to the wall to the wall this is the entire reason that we don't really do trials in public anymore um because all countries used to be this way like going to see like people getting hanged was just a thing that people did it was there was nothing better to do and that's through all of history uh but it's because you know you hold these trials in public and then you have all of the public opinion chanting at you know in this case i don't think there was a jury there was like a judge um if everyone's saying shoot him like it's probably going to alter the judge's decision and kind of uh skew the whole judicial system it's basically that scene in Gladiator where Joaquin Phoenix holds out his thumb and then like kind of shakes it to see what people <laughs> want him to do. And then he's like, nah, kill him. They're like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Of course you're going to do it. You want the applause. Everybody loves applause. The court of public opinion is the worst court. <laughs> you never want to find yourself in. Right. Second only to this court right here. Now, revisiting that idea and i said that as soon as i'm about to say like okay this actually wasn't as bad as it seems um but there's a staff writer at the new yorker named john lee anderson who basically spent five years writing a biography on che guevara um and in an interview with pbs a question was posed about why che guevara an executioner of innocent okay so this is in quotes right this is what the person asking the question is asking right to john lee anderson to john lee anderson he's doing a q a riveting name uh, yeah. Um, why an executioner of innocence was being given so much positive attention. And in response, Anderson said, quote, While Che did indeed execute people, I have yet to find a single credible source pointing to a case where Che executed, quote, an innocent. End quote. I know I'm already in quotes, but. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those persons executed by Guevara or on his orders were condemned for the usual crimes punishable by death at times of war or in its aftermath, such as desertion, treason, or crimes such as rape, torture, or murder. I should add that my research spanned five years and included anti-Castro Cubans among the Cuban-American exile community in Miami and elsewhere, end quote. So... Basically, this guy dedicated a lot of his life to learning about this, and he says that there's not a single case he can find right? where something like that happened. So even if you want to, and obviously there's, this is ignoring the death, the, the death penalty is unethical in and of itself, which if we get into that, we will be here for the rest of the night and we'll never talk right. about Cuba again. Yeah, so let's move on past that. If you, if you take that out of it, Che Guevara is kind of just carrying out the duty of his position, right? Yeah. This is what's generally done at the end of a war like this for these particular crimes. Mm -hmm. Playing devil's advocate of devil's advocate, though, <laughs> it's also worth noting that the death count under his rule was anywhere from 55 to 105. Now... Since we're talking about the Nuremberg trials, Cayman, would you like to guess how many Nazis were executed after World War II? I'm a Price is Right rule, so I don't want to bust. Right. Uh, I'm going to say 500. Oh, I thought it was like 12. Colin, you win. <laughs> okay. It was 13. Wow. Really? It was only 13 in the entire Nuremberg trials? Yeah, I thought it was 13. a pretty low. Yeah. 
It's like saying, oh, he killed one or two people. But, like, that's the same difference. That's all. That's a huge difference. 55 yeah. to 100. Also, also compare Batista's army versus the Nazi army. Like, Well, that's true, but think of how many more Nazis we would have killed if we didn't want them to come to the U.S. to build our missiles. We will get into that shortly. <laughs> <laughs> into that exact thing. Oh, okay. Here we go. So... Um, form your own opinion about Che Guevara. Write into the show if you think I'm apologizing for a murderer. Uh, write it all in haiku form, preferably. Um, yeah, definitely. Haikus only. But that's that's where we're going to end that. He killed 55 to 105. Maybe. Or, like, no, he definitely did. But, like, murdered, maybe. Just kind of executed, maybe. Honestly, if you're comparing him to his constituents or not his constituents his colleagues if you're comparing him to his colleagues which is you know communist leaders um especially in like the 60s uh that's pretty low that's not bad that's not bad yeah okay (laughs) maybe i'll give you a solid maybe okay oh after completing his role as an uh I already regret the way I phrased this next part. So after completing his role as judge and jury for his political opponents, uh, he did a small world tour, uh, mostly because Castro wanted Che out of the picture while he tried to convince the world that he wasn't a communist because having Che around was not a good look. So when Che returns to Cuba, he is appointed to be head of the Cuban National Bank. And we actually talked about this in a previous episode, right? Uh, Yeah. How stupid it is for a man who does not believe in money to become head of a national bank. (laughs) Now, what we did not cover was how that actually happened. Uh, According to Time Magazine, quote, Fidel was winding up a cabinet meeting when a thought suddenly struck him. By the way, he said, I had to fire the head of the national bank today. Is anyone here an economist? Che's hand shot up. I am chief, Che, uh, president of the bank. The meeting ends and castro stayed behind for a private chat with che say i never knew you were an economist said fidel economist said che i thought you said communist is that there's no way that's a true story time magazine doesn't doesn't play it tongue-in-cheek they they definitely play it as if it's a fact okay maybe it happened i mean to be fair like we did the same thing our our entire you know national banking debt system was organized by alexander hamilton who i'm pretty sure kind of got his job you know he didn't mishear washington but washington was like "Eh, you're pretty smart and i mean hamilton did a great job Um, it really sounds like i'm insulting our nation's founders (laughs) but i'm just saying that i mean that's kind of what you do when you start a new country you just find a smart dude and you're like there you go you're in charge of the bank I haven't seen the play, so I don't know anything about it. Don't spoil it. Oh my god. There's books. Yeah, but those those have a bunch of words in them. Yeah, actually, it's very hard researching. It's really hard researching with Michael, because uh, he has to have all of his information sung to him. And that's how he does his research. Yeah. So then everything changed when the CIA attacked. <laughs> and, and then the missile crisis happened. And then when Cuba needed him most, Che Guevara vanished. Oh, no. Seriously, he just straight up disappeared. Oh. He just... Nobody knew where he was. And people 
were asking about him and Castro was just like, if he wants you to know where he is, he'll pop up. So everybody's like, did Castro kill the head of the bank? Was he still the head of the bank? No, 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 no. He got out. Um, Fun fact though, he got to sign the money and he didn't put like Ernesto Guevara or like Che Guevara. He just put Che. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. That's lit. That's lit. Um, Well, then about nine months later, Castro came out and said, okay, fine, I'll tell you where he is. He left me a letter, and he said that he doesn't want to be Cuban anymore. He appreciates everything that we did. He's he's no longer a Cuban. Uh, He is still a communist, and he is fighting for communism abroad. I promise I didn't kill him. To which the rest of the world said, that sounds pretty suspicious. I think you might have killed him. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty sure he didn't, though. uh, No, he didn't. No, okay. So the truth is, if there is such a thing as the truth, um, Che had actually gone to the Congo uh, to fight for communism, just like he said he would in the letter. Yeah. So Castro was telling the truth. Um, And it just so happened that the CIA was also in the Congo because Che, for pretty much the rest of his life, is just going to fight revolutions against the CIA. Do you think he's like kind of one of those guys that likes a new relationship but then once he's in it for a little while, he gets bored. Like, he finished up with the Cuban Revolution, and he tried to stick it out, and he was like, this sucks. I'm going to go do another revolution. He's a, a serial entrepreneur. Right. For right. communist governments. Yes, like you are. Um, so I'm going to skip the Congo, because honestly, I want to cover the Congo in depth, and we don't have time. So we're just going to leave it at, it goes about as well as the Guatemalan Revolution did, um, which we also skipped. But let's leave it at, it didn't go well. Yeah. So instead, we're going to fast forward to Che leaving the Congo to get back to his roots. uh, And that's fighting in South America against the CIA in revolutions. Hell yeah. So he goes to Bolivia. Um, And the funny thing about Bolivia is, it's where a bunch of the higher-up Nazis fled after World War II. For some reason, the Nazis are heavily tied to this part of Che Guevara's life. Hmm. And I always knew about Operation Paperclip, which came and alluded to earlier, where we took a bunch of Nazis and put them in NASA to help us build a rocket to go to the moon. Right. Um, and I love that that's how it's always phrased, too, to help us go to the moon, and it's never, like, to nuke Russia. Like, they helped yeah. us build, build rockets to nuke the planet. Oh, um, no, we weren't building these rockets for nukes. We were using them for We the were going moon. to the moon. Yeah. Like, it's always, that's that's oh, how it's like. We can put our nukes on them, too. What a happy coincidence. I know, because if you're we like, oh, yeah, we stole Nazis to help us nuke the planet. Like, that sounds very evil. So we're like, we went to the moon. And then it's like, oh, that's actually pretty nice. We stole war criminals to help us do war. Makes <laughs> <laughs> that what we did. Yeah. Well, they're really, they're really good at it, so. They are, they are. They are. Really yeah. Okay, but what I didn't know... Okay, so what I didn't know was Operation Paperclip. What I didn't know was that we actually helped some Nazis escape to South America after the war in exchange for information. Um, One Nazi in particular was named Klaus Barbie, and he was helping the CIA take down uh, Guevara in Bolivia. Oh, good. So apparently, we just, like, helped a bunch of Nazis escape justice. So they could fight commies. Well... Exactly. What we had Klaus Barbie doing before was he was in France reporting on if the communists had invaded the French government. Hmm. Or, I, I'm sorry, he wasn't in France. He was in he was in French-occupied Germany. What did this guy do 
for Germany during the war? Uh, I don't know exactly, but I, kn- I do know the last thing I read about him was that, like, I, I skipped World War II because I didn't wanted to know after, but it said, like, he sent a bunch of people to Auschwitz. So he was not, he wasn't, like, a cool Nazi. I wonder if he was, like... He was, like, a super bad Nazi. He was a member of the SS. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He... Yeah. We took someone who was good at hunting down Jewish people, which it sounds dark, but that's how it is. We were like, hey, put those skills towards communist. That's... Uh, no, but that's 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 what it sounds like. It is. We got a people hunter. It's and we had them just hunt a different kind of people. Mm. It, yeah, it's mm. it's awful. Yeah. It doesn't sound good. No, it's not good. No, that's what it is. It's bad. I'm gonna go. Yeah. I'm. I know this is controversial. <laughs> Nazis bad. I'm gonna say it was bad. Yeah. Um, we here on the podcast condemn Nazis. Wow. Um. <laughs> In this political climate. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, we got to move on. Okay. Okay. So, um, so political. In a battle, um, once they found out where he was, they, they basically wounded and surrounded Che Guevara, um, who came out and said, you know, I'm worth more to you alive than dead. Um, and he was taken prisoner by the Bolivian Rangers. Hmm. Um, now, while in captivity, Che lost none of his spirit. Um, when asked to sell out the rest of his revolutionaries, he spit in the commander's face. Classic movie scene. And yeah, no, but this happened. So, um, he was also being like chained up in a schoolhouse, I guess that had been commandeered for just like, we, we need somewhere to put him for the time. Okay. So there weren't children going to the school. I don't know because there was (laughs) still a teacher there and she had Um, like, uh, they hmm. might've, they might've still been going to school. I'm going to say, Hmm. (laughs) Hmm. Interesting. So there's a teacher there and he like gets her to like come talk to him for a minute, but she couldn't look him in the eye. But he was like, you need to hear something because he was like, this schoolhouse sucks. He was like, it's run down. (laughs) This is not where children should be learning. Your government officials are all driving Mercedes Benz and you have to live in this and teach children in this. He's like, you deserve better. So literally he's like captured. He's about to. Well, spoilers he's about to die um and he's like still selling the message like yeah (laughs) god i just i appreciate that he's like that guy in the movies that you're not supposed to quote go towards when he's like in the cell well no because you you go towards a cell and then like he brainwashes everybody so like he's like don't talk to him just don't talk to him well and that's what i love on that point like the idea of like him basically starting a revolution from within a prison cell um the Bolivian president basically like gets orders that they've captured Jay Guevara and he goes, you need to kill him before he escapes. <laughs> so he basically says like, you need to go kill him, but don't make it look like an execution. Make it look like he was killed in combat. So basically they can't shoot him in the head. They can't make it quick. They have to like, they have to shoot oh. him a bunch. Yeah, Ooh. it's bad. Um, but I don't have my handy dandy copy of the Geneva Convention here with me, but I'm fairly certain that you're, you're that's bad. Yeah. That's supposed to not do. Not ideal. Hmm. I'm going to go with not ideal. Um, so anyway, they, they bring Guevara out and there's a man there holding a gun and he looks at him and his last words were, quote, I know you've come to kill me. Shoot, coward. You're only going to kill a man. That's <sighs> Che Guevara's life is a movie. Yeah. It really is. I don't know why there hasn't been like I, I know why because there is a Che Guevara movie. 
Yeah, but it's like, uh, oh, actually, yeah, um, Benicio del Toro's. I, I, I think, yeah, but I think that they end before like Castro leaves Cuba. I don't know. I need to go watch that. You would think at some point during the past three and a half. Yep. <laughs> at least the popular stuff. Well, hey, we did Nixon without watching Frost Nixon or like uh, Kennedy without watching the JFK um, miniseries. That's true. A lot of things. Because um, here's the thing: like, if you watch those things, we haven't it's done Kennedy, have we? It's gonna. It's they're they're mostly either propaganda films or they're filled with just complete nonsense that wasn't actually true and love interests that weren't there. And don't want to go down a wrong rabbit hole. Yeah, they're fun to watch after the fact. Now that we know the facts, but anyway, that's the end of Che Guevara. Oh, cool. Well, tell you what, I've been wanting. To what tell did you this. not think that was the end? He got shot. He's dead. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I figured he would dust or turn into a giant octopus by now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been dying to tell this next story that I'm going to tell. So kids, gather around the campfire while I tell you the tale of Ubre Blanca. Alright. This sounds pretty badass, right? So, to understand the tale of Ubre Blanca... You gotta have a little backdrop on the different types of cows, right? Wait, is Ubre Blanca a cow? We're getting to it. So, in the 50s, there's about two, uh, just about two, uh, major breeds of cows in South America. There's the Zebu, uh, which is actually from Southeastern Asia, and the La Reina, which is from Nicaragua. Um, The La Reina was a lot less popular, um, but the Zebu was pretty much everywhere. Uh, they're pretty good cows. They can stand a whole lot of heat. Um, they have a lot of meat and stuff. One caveat is that they don't produce much milk. They produce about two liters a day, which isn't really a lot. Castro comes to power, and he decides that he's going to do something about it. Now, for a little background to the background, uh, Castro is a big old dairy boy. Loves milk. And there's a lot of stories about Castro's obsessions with milk uh for instance dairy was a go-to show off for him and when diplomats and reporters would come visit in cuba uh, he would have them like try milk from different cows even though he seemingly was the only one that could tell the difference in the taste at all and he would Did even he serve like, them in like wine glasses and say no no no, you have to like swirl it around and, and get a good sniff before you actually drink it how the stories sound yes honestly he made a lot of diplomats uncomfortable with this because then he would no then he would start taking the different like milks that he was trying that no one else like could tell a difference in mm-hmm. and then he would like mix different ones together in like different amounts and be like okay now try this now yeah. try this like, one and uh, these diplomats are like, what the fuck, dude? It's just milk. <laughs> this one's got a nice earthy undertone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Dude loved milk. Um, he actually once got in an argument with a French diplomat uh, after trying to pretty much strong arm the guy into saying that Cuba had better cheese than France. And the whole time, like, the diplomat from France is like, yeah, this cheese is pretty good. This is okay. And Castro's like, but yeah, it's like better than france's like wouldn't you say and the diplomat eventually like got pissed off and this is a great story a very ballsy story he pulled the cigar from castro's pocket and said will you agree that there is a better cigar in the world than this you can't beat tradition my cheese and your cigars have centuries of experience behind them and apparently castro like 
was kind of miffed about it, but he was like, okay. And then, like, he let the subject drop. Well, of course he was mad. They had already printed the packaging for the cheese that had the quote <laughs> written on it, better than French cheese. French diplomat. <laughs> better than the French cheese. Um, also, so his love of dairy didn't stop at just milk. It was pretty much anything made with dairy. Uh, one of his great loves was ice cream, uh, which brings us to Coppelia. Now, at the time of Coppelia's construction, it was the world's largest ice cream parlor. And I say parlor, but really I mean complex. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's massive. And the thing is, like, this thing, this was state-of-the-art construction. Very artistic. Huge. Uh, all the buildings around it were, like, just old Cuban buildings. And, like, this thing stood out. And then he started taking diplomats and stuff here when they would come in. But here's my thing is like, could the Cuban people afford ice cream or was this like just his personal I, ice cream complex? I, dude, I think that like, was they it socialized? Sold, yeah. I think that they socialized ice cream. That is a political ideal I can get behind. No, they still can had we some, get this on a party platform. They still had some form of currency, but like it was cheap. It had Che's name on it. Like here, let me tell you. So it's, Huge, beautiful, saucer-shaped building. Looks like a freaking UFO. Uh, it was built with stained glass and a wood interior. Uh, it employs, employs, because it's still around today, 400 workers and serves 35,000 people a day. Uh, so yeah, Coppelia is still around today. No longer the world's largest ice cream parlor, though. Interestingly enough, but I'm not going to get into that. All right. So, uh, despite all of Castro's obsession with dairy, uh, Cuba still has very low milk yields. Because, like I said, the Zebus don't produce much milk. So, what do you do when you're a world leader with massive power, a dairy obsession, and low milk yields? You guessed it. You employ scientists to make a new breed of super cow. I guess the timeline's all wrong, but I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna go with this fantasy. Like, basically, they're, they're doing the dodgeball picks of which Nazi scientists they're going to grab, right? Everybody gets their draft pick. And Castro's there like, I want the one that knows about cows. <laughs> I want the dairy one. Uh, so, here in the U.S. and in a lot of Europe, we have a cow called the Holstein. Now, this is just the classic cow like when Joel you think Holstein? of cow. Yeah, like Joel Holstein. You know how he's got those, he's white and he's got those black spots. And, and those big nipples. Yeah, and those big nipples. <laughs> <laughs> that just won't quit. <laughs> yeah, so the Holstein, the classic cow you think about. Uh -huh. The ones um, with the nipples that just won't quit. Yeah, they really won't. And they produce hell of milk. Nine gallons a day. Okay. That's yeah. a lot of milk. Uh, now, unfortunately, these cows are little bitches in the heat. They don't like it when it's hot, and they don't produce milk when it's hot, and they don't really reproduce well when it's hot. They're not made for the heat. So Castro initiates a program breeding the milk pumping Holsteins with the heat resistant Zebus. And something incredible happens. Ubre Blanca. That's right. We're to the cow. Now the program works somewhat. A few cows produced pretty good, but the crescendo of the program was in 1972 with what I'm going to call the world's first super cow. To explain what I mean, and it is recorded, this isn't communist propaganda, Guinness World Records went and recorded that Ubre Blanca produced damn near 30 gallons of milk in a single day. 
Jesus. 30 gallons of milk in a single day. You can't even drink a gallon of water in a day. How, okay, so it would have to drink 30 gallons of water a day to be able to produce 30 gallons of milk. Maybe. I don't know. It was up to nuts. I'm sorry. I'm going to get a little, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a little bit of French language. Michael, it's a fucking super cow. Super superpowers don't make sense. They don't have science behind them. No, but I just love that his his superpower was I can produce a lot of milk. Like, <laughs> yeah, that would be on shitty superpowers. Yeah, Ubre Blanca. But it wouldn't be a shitty superpower if you found a communist dictator who loved who milk. Loved milk. Yeah, it's honestly it's a made in heaven. <laughs> it is. Um, so needless to say, Castro saw this cow as a national hero. <laughs> Yeah. Move over, uh, Che Guevara. <laughs> Ubre Blanca was shown on diplomatic trips because, you know, you really just have to show everyone that visits your country how You're super great cow. you are producing dairy. Uh, she was featured regularly at patriotic events. Uh, she even had a daily column in the Cuban newspapers that gave updates about her health and production. Here's my thing is like. <laughs> They were only able to make one of these, right? Like, it- uh, well, they actually did. They did make a new breed of cow that was the cross between the zebu and the uh, Holstein, and it like you have to have like the perfect blend. Like, they have to be like three eighths zebu, like um, the rest <laughs> five five eighths Holstein. <laughs> Math is yeah. hard. So, <laughs> um, um, yeah, but okay, but none of them compared to this one. No, like they all did if pretty good. If that was good. the case, Ubre Blanca was a freak, dude. That's what I'm like, saying. Yeah, if, this if one you was had insane. like the perfect cow, this was the perfect cow. This was no, this was better than the perfect cow. This was a super cow. Okay, it defies logic. The <laughs> super duper perfect cow. I wouldn't be taking him out in public. I wouldn't be doing public events with him. I'd be. I would literally have him locked in a facility where no one could even breathe on it. I'd be like, do not mess with the super cow. I need ice cream. <laughs> no, dude. You can't hurt the super cow. Super cow's invincible. Well, it's a bounce right off that super cow. Oh, so it's still alive? Ubre Blanca did finally pass away oh. in 1985. <laughs> <laughs> and you set me up to, to hype up the super cow, and now you tell me it's been dead for, whatever, 30 years, 35 years. Well, no, she's been she's been dead. She's been dead for a little while, but maybe not forever. Okay, <laughs> we're coming back to it. Well, here, let me get to it. Oh my god! So she has been memorialized through marble statues erected in her hometown, sure. and continuous attempt don't do this. <laughs> continuous attempts by don't. Cuban scientists don't. to clone her from no. preserved tissue samples. They preserved her no. tissue samples. Yeah, they've been trying to clone her for years. Ugh. They're trying to bring back the super cow. Imagine an army of super cows. One day, just... Cuba's going to make all the milk. They're going to corner the milk market. How large is the super cow gap between the U.S. <laughs> and Cuba? We cannot allow a dairy production gap. <laughs> and dude, Castro loved milk. He loved it so much. <laughs> he was just obsessed with milk. And I think that's the that's the if you take one thing away from our Cuba series, it's that Castro fucking loved milk. Mm-hmm. Like loved it. 
enough that he broke the laws of nature to get more of it. <laughs> he did. Oh, shit. That's all that I can talk about the milk stuff because I'm, I'm, I'm about to cry. We got to talk about something else. <clears throat> um, if you're tired of crying from laughter and want to cry from sadness, here's my next topic. Oh. Okay. So we're definitely going to have to talk in a future episode about the fall of the Soviet Union and the ripple effect that that caused on the entire planet. Uh, but for right now, I just want to talk about what impact that had on Cuba. So the fall of the USSR resulted in an economic depression in Cuba known as the Special Period. I don't know what's so special about it other than a lot of people were very miserable. Yeah. It doesn't seem very special to me. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> they were especially poor. <laughs> we were especially hungry, sick, and miserable. Um, so. It was Castro who coined special period. Was it really? Yeah. No, he coined it the, the special period because he's like, we're all going to have to like take a sacrifice, but this isn't something that's going to happen all the time. We're just going through a little bit of a recession. This is like a special thing. This is hence the special period. Like that's just that's not a direct quote, but that's pretty much why, why it's called that. Because he wanted to make it seem like they wouldn't have to do that again. You won't even notice it. It'll be gone. Right. Like yeah. it'll be fine. It's a special um, thing. So before the fall of the USSR, Cuba was relying on them for 80% of its imports and 80% of its exports. So like their entire economy was the USSR. Which, I mean, that's not unusual. A lot of countries were doing the same thing with us at the same time. They were getting everything from the US. That's, there were two superpowers and those were the two major world markets. But Cayman, we had democracy and they didn't. Uh, we won the Cold War. And that's why this went bad for Cuba. They placed their bets on the wrong man. Well, we'll see how that works out for them. Yeah. Um, so whenever all that, you know, economic trade dried up, um, Cuba was just kind of screwed. Um, seeing as the USSR fueled most of their sources of food, medicine, and petroleum, um, and the fact that they no longer had petroleum means they also went into an energy crisis on top of their, you know, famine and disease. Um, which means that they also can't run tractors, which means they can't grow their own food. Um, or what little bit they can is going to be very small amounts. So, and you know how much Castro loved tractors. Big you know, fan. He wanted, he wanted those things running. Unfortunately, they had to put Uber Blanca out to pasture to pull all the farm equipment. Unfortunately, they could not successfully create a milk engine. <laughs> <laughs> Our cars run off milk. There was actually an episode of Phil of the Future where the future people had a milk engine. That's oh. not important. Um, little callback. That would be more expensive than gas. Milk's more expensive than gas. Never mind. Continue. That I actually remember thinking that. I was like... Milk? Yeah. Maybe in the... Oh, no, but this is in the future whenever they create the, the clone army of Uber Blanc. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> milk prices are going to bottom out <laughs> they collapse the world economy by flooding <laughs> the markets with milk the aliens invade for our milk technology 
<laughs> do you imagine aliens invading and they actually like they don't rank society on like how peaceful things are if you have a warp engine they all rank society on like how much dairy production do you have <laughs> like, yeah Cuba, he was visited by he was visited by the aliens oh. oh jesus okay now remember at this time the u.s has strict sanctions on all trade with cuba so cuba's not planning on getting any help from the u.s However, the U.S. saw how horrible the situation was in Cuba, with hunger and disease becoming huge, huge risks for the average Cuban. So Congress looked into itself and decided to act. Um, and what they, what they passed was the Cuban Democracy Act. Um, now, if you think that this aid is going to come in the form of a relief package or, you know, anything good, then just go back and re-listen to the whole Cuba series. Uh, the Cuban Democracy Act actually makes things much worse for the Cuban people. Um, it basically states that all of Cuba's problems come from them relying on the USSR, which failed because it was communist. And they're like, you're still communist, so you're going to fail too. Well, it was also us kind of like strong arming them into like trying to make them give up the communist government pretty much, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so basically... The, the, the whole thing is you're either going to switch to democracy, throw Castro out, or you're going to starve. Like, that's basically the way things are. And the Cuban people chose starve. <laughs> well, Castro chose starve, and the Cuban people just went with whatever Castro said. Yeah. Um, and things got a lot worse, because in addition to the existing sanctions from the United States... Um, the act also stated that any ship that visited a Cuban port could not dock at a U.S. port for 180 days. So basically, like, you got to pick. You're either coming to America or Cuba. Um, right. You can't do both. Um, and if you trade with Cuba at all, you forfeit yourself from any economic aid from the United States. So we're basically not just cutting Cuba off from us. We're, we're cutting Cuba off from the entire world. Why does Castro hate the U.S. again? Can't figure it out. Um, and if you think that, okay, this is just the U.S.'s way of helping the Cuban people, like all they got to do is, is switch their government and then we'll, we'll come help them. I would turn your attention to the main sponsor of the act, who, according to the Baltimore Sun, stated that the act was intended to, quote, wreak havoc on that island. Mm. So that's what it's intended to do is just to sow chaos. And I feel like it's just a stab back for the Bay of Pigs and missile crisis and everything just like... I feel like there's animosity here. There has to be because like it's just cruelty for the sake of cruelty. And I also, while I was reading this, just had to remember. You remember when JFK took the high ground with the USSR and said like, yeah, I mean, we're going to block nukes, but we're not going to block medicine and food like you guys did in Berlin. Like, we're not that savage. We're not going to keep an island from eating or getting medicine. That's what communists do. That was fun. Yeah. That was a fun time when that happened. Yeah. Um, so if the intent was to wreak havoc on Cuba, it totally worked. Um, the Havana Zoo started claiming that animals were going missing, including peacocks, emus, and buffalo. Um, I guess one pro side is a lot of, uh, the stray cat population that was becoming an issue in Cuba also started to go down. Yikes. Um, I don't know where, what, what that was all about. And people started utilizing old school methods of travel, like horse and buggy. In the 1980s. Yeah. 
And this whole thing wasn't a special period. This was a special decade. This pretty much lasted the entirety. Oh, I'm sorry. I said 80s. This is the 90s. This lasted pretty much 91 to the year 2000. Like, this was the entire 90s. This was happening in Cuba. And I mean, it was ramping up before the 90s as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, things weren't good. things Things were going down through the 80s. Actually, part of the thing that, like, destroyed Carter's presidency is once... You know, the USSR started doing poorly, which meant that Cuba was doing poorly. Um, Essentially, a lot of people that were riding high decided to jump ship. And a shitload of them decided to become American refugees um, or immigrate to America. And we allowed a lot of these people in. Castro, at the same time, was like, fine. Uh, a lot of our citizens are leaving. They're un- they're not patriotic anyways. Let them leave. And then he emptied out his prisons and put them all on a boat <laughs> and sent them. And wreaked a little bit of havoc in Florida for a while. And um, yeah, that actually hurt. That was a main talking point against uh, Carter when he was running again. So What did we do with them? Uh, we held them in detention centers for a little while. And then eventually we're like, all right, well... We're going to release you in the public. Essentially, the movie Scarface, I I'm not a big fan of the movie Scarface, but they do a pretty decent job of covering what happened in the beginning of that movie. Where essentially you have all these criminals that are like, yeah, no, I'm a refugee. I'm seeking asylum. And they were like, you have gang tattoos. And they're like, eh. <laughs> and they're like, I guess we have to let you out. Nice. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's all that you have on on uh, this this special period. Oh, I remember when I had my first special period. It's the day you became a man. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can hear Colin thinking, "I'm cutting that." Yep. <laughs> I'm quitting the podcast. I don't say it anymore because half the time we don't cut it, and then you hear me say, "Oh, I'm cutting that." So let's gonna be honest. I would probably prefer that we cut that, and we're probably still not going to. No. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Or any of this. <laughs> so let's uh, let's talk about the end of Castro's life, because you know Castro's getting up there in years. Uh, the whole revolution, '59, and now we're through the '90s into the 2000s it's a new century a new millennium nearing the end of castro's political career it's very obvious that he's been a polarizing figure um all across the world people see the good and the bad in castro he increased health care he improved education uh making cuba actually one of the or giving them one of the highest um life expectancies and highest literacy rates in the world Uh, And he also increased Cuba's diplomatic power. This tiny island that no one really cared about before, you know, was a huge concern for the U.S. They were were throwing their weight around and they were making things happen, at least for a while. And then, of course, people see the bad, too. Uh, Human rights really went down the toilet. Anyone that really disagreed, or disagreed too much, I'll say, uh, kind of got arrested, um... And they didn't Cast- kind of get arrested. They got arrested. Hey, they got arrested. You did have some amount of criticism that you could have towards the government. The problem was when your criticism began to get too loud, uh, Castro said that those people would be arrested to protect the human rights of all of Cuba. Because those were the people, if you were going against Cuba, or if you were going against 
his communist regime, then you're going against uh, everything that he'd built. You're going against healthcare. You're going against education. That's how he framed all this. And, you know, it, he did some good. He did a you're lot of bad. You're going against ice cream. Yeah, you're going against, against ice cream. When I have an army of Ubre Blancas, they're going to stampede your house. So... <laughs> In two thousand, in the mid two thousands, he'd really started to take the back seat with politics. Uh, they really only came to him for advice on big things, as they would do for pretty much the rest of his life. Uh, he resigned as president in two thousand eight uh, after his health kind of started to deteriorate. Now, it is important to point out at this point, uh, he'd stopped smoking cigars for a while. I think it was like eighty five. His doctors told him that um, smoking was bad and it was going to ruin his health. And it was ruining the health of the Cuban people. So he stopped smoking cigars and was like, all right, everyone can follow my lead. Like, you can quit smoking cigars. They're they're bad for your health if you smoke them too much. Regardless, he's just an old man at this point. So he's having some health issues. And he said, quote, about his resignation. It would betray my conscience to take up a responsibility that requires mobility and total devotion that I am not physically conditioned to offer. Um, Raul took over at this point and Raul stays stayed and is still pretty much the leader of cuba uh castro went on to resign as first secretary of the communist party of cuba in 2011 so that's head spot in the communist party i don't know why the communist like leader always has to be secretary um but that's how it is uh so after 2011 he has the pope over for a sleepover uh, that's pope francis and they talked a little bit and there were some pictures and that was nice wait uh castro had the pope over yeah. It wasn't Castro an atheist? Yeah. What is it with the Pope and atheists? Uh, he, the Pope Francis is a big peace boy. He wants everyone to be peaceful and healthy and happy. I mean, there's still Christianity in Cuba. They yeah, didn't, still, like, I don't know. they didn't get rid of Christianity. And, you know, there's a lot of Catholics. So, um, he wasn't just visiting for Castro. He was visiting the people of Cuba and he met with Castro. And I guess Castro respected the guy. So in 2013, he called for de-escalation in the North Korean slash American nuclear challenges. Uh, he called them absurd, uh, which is kind of interesting to draw the parallel between them and the Cuban Missile Crisis. And it, like Castro said that too. He's like, this is just like the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was dumb. And this is dumb. Like, no one's going to use nukes. You shouldn't use nukes. I remember when I was a boy and I was threatening nations with nukes. Right. He had kind of become this grumpy old man who'd learned from his mistakes and was like, you guys got to you guys got to stop that. And he actually uh, won the Confucius Peace Prize from China for this. Uh, Now, I have to imagine that the Confucius Peace Prize, it's. I, I think it's just kind of like the communist Nobel Peace Prize. That's what I'm saying. Like, of course, <laughs> won it. Like, I mean, how many people are you going to give it to? How many times in a row can you give it to Putin? But I mean, he did. He called. He called for like ending hostilities between Iran and the U.S. He called for ending hostilities in Asia. Uh, he kind of became more of a peace boy later in life, uh, which is strange. Uh, so on November 25th, 2016, Fidel Castro did pass away from undisclosed illness. Uh, His ashes traveled a funeral procession down the same road in which he rode on his victory tour 57 years earlier. As per his request, no roads, schools, or any government institutions have been named in his memory, and no statues or memorials have been built in his honor. Do you know what they did with his ashes? Uh, They're buried someplace. Okay. Uh, He is... 
apparently he had a big thing at the end of his life where he's like, I don't want to become a cult of personality. I want Cuba to be able to stand on its own two feet without me. So he really wanted to take his name out of the narrative. I, I kind of wanted it to be something like really sappy where he was like, I was scattered in the Sierra Maestro Mountains where like all of it began. Like, I don't know. I wanted I, it to be something. I was I was buried on the on the grandma boat that I came over to Cuba on. Like, I don't know. I wanted it to be something and it, it just wasn't. And it was disappointing. I mean, I'm not exactly sure where he's buried. I, I probably should have looked it up. I probably read. Obviously, I read it and I didn't care enough to write it down. I didn't care enough to write it down, so. The problem, Michael, is you're get, you're trying to give Castro the movie ending when Che Guevara was yeah. the movie ending guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's just buried in a cemetery somewhere. Yeah, just in a cemetery. That sucks. So while I was researching for one of our episodes, I've been saving this for a while because I, I really wanted to talk about it. Um, I found the most ironic picture I've ever seen. Uh, it's a picture of Castro meeting with Khrushchev. And Castro's in the process of lighting a cigar and his arm is kind of up. So you can see that he's wearing not one, but two Rolex watches. Nice. Um, what makes it worse is that the meeting is literally taking place underneath a picture of Karl Marx, um, who is shedding a single tear. I made up, huh. the, I made up the tear part. He wasn't actually. Oh, okay. Um, oh, yeah. now, <laughs> I, I found it so funny, I needed to, like, research why he was wearing two Rolex watches. Did he take them off dead bodies? <laughs> no, that'd be cool. One of oh, them, Cienfuegos, wow. is old Rolex. Um, <laughs> he, th he swam down to the bottom of the ocean to get it. And the other one was Batista's that he left on his desk. Um, <laughs> no, that neither one of those things are true. Um, but actually, it was for practical purposes. Um, with these two watches, Castro knew the time in Havana, D.C., and Moscow. I think one of the watches had like a two time zone setting or something. I couldn't find out why he knew all three from two watches. I'm pretty sure Havana and the DC are both Eastern time. That was my first thought also, but apparently that at the time they were not that they are now on the same time zone. But at the time Cuba was in like central time. Who makes time zone rules? They're all stupid. I think Get rid of who them. Makes, countries who just kind of pick their own. Get rid of them. Daylight savings. Get it out of here. We've already brought up this point on the podcast. It's a well-established yeah. It's a well-established position of us. We don't need to go into it again. Everyone's going to get fucking heated. Okay, well, really quickly. This is not. This is about the watches. Have you ever had one of the watches where like it has the dial on the outside that turns around? Yeah. yeah. So that one, you, you can set that to a second time zone, that dial. That's yeah. why that spins. So he probably had or one. Or you can also use it as a timer. Yeah, you can. Which but, is, I think, yeah. the main reason why it spins. Well, it depends. A lot of purposes. Like, aviation watches spin, but that's time zones. Because you'd have one in Greenwich Mean Time. Because that's what well, pilots use. Anyway. At the time, Rolexes were not, like... They weren't a luxury item that only the rich had. Um, they were expensive, but that's because they were the most accurate watch on the market. Like, we hadn't invented the... Um, yeah, we hadn't invented the quartz technology where it would like keep its own time. So like you had to have a very good mechanical watch and Rolex was the best one. I mean, even still, mine has to be wound up like every two days. Well, Castro needed a good watch because he needed. Yeah, it was. So he knows. Is it nuke time? Is it nuke time? <laughs> How about now? Is it nuke time? Can I have another milkshake yet? <laughs> <laughs> have you re-upped on the milk supply yet? Um, yeah, but so yeah. 
funny picture of Castro. Look it up. He's wearing two Rolex watches. Lightning. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a painting. Like, it's too perfect. <laughs> Uh, so we had talked about Turkey removing its nukes or us removing our nukes from Turkey, however, and I had planned kind of to like, cause we mentioned it in the last episode, like why would Turkey allow the U S what was their reaction? Uh, their reaction was the same as Cuba's when the USSR took theirs out. Uh, it, Turkey couldn't really do jack shit about us taking our nukes back at that point in time. Uh, they didn't like it. Um, but, you know, nothing they could really do about it. But what I did find out was something even more interesting. So, we removed those nukes in 1963. That same year, we developed the B-61 thermonuclear bomb. Now, at some point between then and now, and I looked and I couldn't find anything about it because apparently we did this very covertly, we slapped 50 of them in Turkey. And they're still there. We have thermonuclear missiles in Turkey. That can so be we were just like, like, yeah, we'll take those nukes out. And we swapped them out for better ones. And I, th- I have to think that it had to be some point after Kennedy's death. Surely. Probably something Nixon did. Or Reagan. I don't know. We still use them. Uh, who knows? I, I, that's, that's the other thing. Or um, was it like, you know, after the 90s? Like it could have been any time. I don't know. This was, and we wouldn't put our state of the art stuff there. Like, surely there, that's like two generations behind, and we're like, well, Turkey, you can have this. We've we've upgraded them, but here's the thing: now that we may not be able to take them back, and all of this is conjecture. That's why this has to be an afterthought. I wanted to make this into something longer, but like everything I can find is conjecture, other than the fact that they definitely are there. Like, okay, we know that for a fact. Yeah, we Let's know that they're there. Okay. Now, um, now, there's been calls in the past few years to remove these bombs, but it's not clear whether or not any action has been taken by the U.S. military to remove them. Uh, this is very concerning considering political unrest in this region. Turkey is a hot zone right now. Um, in 2006, they had an attempted coup against the Erdogan, er, Erdogan, Erdogan. You know who I'm talking about. Erdogan, the leader of turkey regardless uh there was a coup against him back in 2016 some people have proposed that these nukes are being used as a bargaining chip against the u.s by the Erdogan administration um and they're like using it because like trump and Erdogan are also buddy buddy Mm -hmm. and that's you remember when uh we just hightailed it out of syria and then turkey went and took over all of our bases yeah uh some people say that the reason that we did that is because he has not necessarily access, but he could like storm the base or something and like take nukes or like, or we need to have them there and he's, but it's just, it's all unstable, but that's all conjecture. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I, I didn't want to, I don't want to say anything definite on that because all I found was, uh, unfounded claims. There's nukes that we may not have power or, like, that, that we could lose power over at any day. Like, <clears throat> well, I mean, maybe we wouldn't lose power, but do we want to risk it? I don't know. No. I know I don't. Right. Uh, so, that's the spooky stuff with nukes in Turkey today. It's still a problem. <laughs> it, it is the spooky season. Yep. And that's all I got on that. Yay, that was Yay. fun. That's the most fun topic we've covered. <laughs> I like the one with the cows.
Um, okay, uh, quick, another quick fun fact. Uh, we actually rent Guantanamo Bay from Cuba. So we, when we established the base, we agreed on $4,085 a year. Um, we have continued to pay that for every year it's been in operation. Cuba, I'm sorry, Castro has never once cashed the check. I think they're all sitting in his desk. Hmm. That's, um, that's cheaper than rent that I've ever paid. Yeah, for the whole year? Absolutely. Yeah, that's good. That's good rent. That's that's why that's why you invest in property. Do you so think it, they'll sublet me a room? Probably. All you got to do is say some very uh, anti terroristic uh, things. You can just sign up for the military. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you can say yeah. That's one way yeah, to get a can, room. That one's for you free. You can say though. some things, but I would say save that for your own podcast. I was saying you join the military and then get assigned. Well, there. there's no guarantee. Oh, that's there's no guarantee. Right. There's no guarantee. Yeah. You got to join the Navy. You think I could legacy in there since my grandfather was at Guantanamo? You think it's like a frat and you can... <laughs> my grandfather... I mean... Yeah, I'm actually a Guantanamo legacy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun. Um, Do you have any more? You got anything else? <laughs> no, I'm good, actually. Okay, I've and got it... something if you guys are done. Okay. Whoa. All right, well, I just wanted to say... Uh, well, you guys know this, but I'll, I'll mention it. Just a little neat thing that uh, I edited episode 15, the Cuban Missile Crisis, 90 miles from Cuba in Key West on the beach. I sent you guys a picture of me with the laptop mm-hmm. on the beach yeah. looking, looking south. So I was, I, I, you can't see, obviously. You just fly the drone over to it. <laughs> I just fly. No, it's 4.2 <laughs> miles and then, and then the drone's done. So I'm pretty sure the FAA would get... Pissed. You can't fly anywhere near there because there's so many naval bases yeah. and everything in Key West. You, the whole thing is like no fly zone. Also, yeah. Cuba would shoot it down. Bah. Ah. It looks, There's I mean, on radar, no surely it looks like a bird, right? Like. So does the SR-71 Blackbird. That's fair. That's and they, but they didn't shoot those down either, they, guys. They didn't nope. shoot they those down. They shot Cuba down. shot a Blackbird? No, not Cuba. Uh, uh, no, no, SR-71's never been shot down. I don't think down. anybody's ever shot down a Blackbird. Okay, well. No. Sorry, I don't. A U-2. A U-2 got shot down. U-2's U-2's a beam, I know one of the, That's very different. I knew one planes. of the spy planes got shot down. I don't know brand <laughs> names of planes. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I think they're both Lockheed Martin, but. You're going to Lockheed Martin summer camp, and you're going to learn. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to go to Lockheed Martin oh, summer oh, camp. Oh, and while I was down there, I had a Cuban mix sandwich. I love Cuban sandwiches. I'm not sure if Before we just talk about Cuban food. I'm not sure if Cuban sandwiches come from Cuba. I don't think Cuban sandwiches are from Cuba. That's stupid, Cayman. Why would they call them? That? French fries don't come from France. I had it in a Cuban restaurant. There you go. All right, guys, be sure to follow us on Twitter <laughs> at IRWYH podcast and on Instagram at I really wish you hadn't. If you got any questions or comments, email us at podcast at I really wish you hadn't dot com. And if you hadn't yet, just go ahead and get get in line. Act like the lemming you are and follow our podcast. <laughs> uh, we would appreciate it very much. Also, rate our podcast. We would also appreciate that. There we go. Yeah, nice. And that's it. I Really Wish You Hadn't is hosted by me, Cayman McMahon and Michael Bentley. We're produced by Colin Moore. Intro and outro music by Attack Story. Our cover art is by Nickatory. Please remember to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, have sweet, sweet dreams 
of a cow that can produce 30 gallons of milk a day. A day! Be on your side.